But have you ever been on the end of an empty promise? I think that's where I want to start by asking that question. Have you ever been on the end of an empty promise? Somebody saying they would do something, but in the end they didn't live up to the promise they made you. And it didn't feel good, did it? If you have a Bible, well, let me start by welcoming you to the podcast this week. But if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. I hope that this podcast is anything but the title. But I called it the empty podcast for a reason because that describes a lot of things right now. But Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, it talks about a resurrection. I think it's something we're all that we're all familiar with. I'm not going to read it, but I'll, t- I'll give you the quick synopsis. It's the first day of the week, very early in the morning. They head over to the tomb, and they're looking. They bring the spices, everything that they need to make the body right. And there's a stone that's been moved. They went in, and the tomb was empty. There's a lot we can learn from that word empty when it comes to the Easter story, the resurrection story, the thing that we celebrate this week. This is the Easter podcast. It's empty. It's the empty podcast, so to speak. But have you ever been on the end of an empty promise? I think that's where I want to start by asking that question. Have you ever been on the end of an empty promise? Somebody saying they would do something, but in the end they didn't live up to the promise they made you. And it didn't feel good, did it? Well, I heard a story, it's a, you know, a sermon illustration that's talking about a young man from a wealthy family about to graduate from high school. And the tradition of the family was the father was to give a car. They get the car of their choice, and he and his father spent several weeks before going around looking at different car lots and looking at brand new cars. They wanted to find that perfect car, and after weeks of looking, they came across what he thought was the perfect car. The right color had all the right little extras that he could see himself driving off to college in the car. It was the best graduation present anyone could receive. Well, on the night before his graduation, he was handed a present by his dad. He was excited. He knew that it had to be the keys to the car. And he hastily ripped open the wrapping paper, dug into the box to find the keys. And he found there were no keys. There was a Bible. Uh, A Bible. (laughs) Now, this is the part of the story that I I was like, why wouldn't anyone want a Bible? But folks, this is where we are in the world today is just like this young man. We're expecting the material. We're expecting this this thing that we want. We want these things and we want them now. And it just it's disappointing. Even if it's God's word, it disappoints us. Why in the world would a dad give a son a, gra- a Bible at graduation? It wasn't the worst gift in the world, but it was not the time for him to get a Bible, right? That was his feeling. This was the time for the brand new set of keys. This was the time to go out and spin some wheels, burn some rubber, rev the engines, do what wanted, what young people do. I mean, 
he was supposed to get a car. It was a family tradition. So he got angry. And he, he threw the Bible down, stormed out of the house and vowed he would never speak to his father again. To him, his father was a liar. He had promised him a car and all he got was a Bible. He didn't want anything to do with him ever again. As soon as he could, he got out of the house. He, he made good on his own promise. He never spoke to his father again. Even though his father attempted to talk to him, to write to him, he never spoke or responded to him. In his mind, his dad was a liar and he was dead to him. He was finished with this old man. Now, all of this takes place. Years pass and then he gets word that his dad's very sick. He didn't care. He still refused to talk to him. And one day he received word that his father had passed away. And he didn't want anything to do with his father or anything his father had left behind. But for some reason, he decided it wasn't the way to handle things. So he made up his mind. He would go through the stuff, ditch what he didn't want and be through with him once and for all. I mean, after all, he was a liar. He had cheated him out of his perfect car. And he looked through his father's stuff and he came across that Bible. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to wait to finish that story. Because the, the, the devastation that came upon this young man when he didn't get what he wanted... I've thought about this story many times and I can't help but wonder how many times we've done the same thing to God. Now, I'll get back to the end of that story in a moment, but how many times have we done the same thing to God? That we've prayed and we've asked for this perfect gift and it didn't come packaged like we wanted it. It wasn't what we expected. It was smaller. It was different. It wasn't you know, he wanted Keats. He didn't want a Bible. Folks, there's a lesson to be learned in this story for us today. Because if you go back to the end of this story, this young man opened, he found the Bible, and he, he was flooded with anger all over again. And he thought about doing something, but this time he thumbed through the Bible. He still couldn't believe that his father had broken a promise all these years ago. And as he flipped through the pages, something caught his attention. At that moment, he found out that his father had left him something in the Bible. He had never opened it. Never looked in it. Never looked to see what, what, what might be inside. Inside that Bible, his father had stuck a cashier's check for the exact amount to the penny of what that brand new car would have cost. It was the exact amount for the car. The car was his. But he didn't like how it was packaged. 
His father had, in fact, kept his promise. His dad had made it possible for him to get the car. He had been mad all of these years for nothing, and his dad had only wanted him to understand that the best gift possible for a young man was not a car, but the word of God. So he gave him a Bible, and he put the check in the Bible. All he had to do was read it, open it, look inside. It never occurred to him to ask his father why he had given him a Bible. He just got angry, stormed out, and told his father he would never speak to him again. We do this. We toss aside God's promise of being able to live a genuine human life, a life in which we experience a right relationship with God, with everyone. We throw it away for the material things because we don't understand the package it's in we don't accept it or we don't believe that it's what we want if only he had received the bible with joy if only he had flipped through the pages if only he had continued to enjoy this loving relationship with his father he would have had the car of his dreams but he had avoided talking to his father Instead of avoiding the anger and the malice that came. How different his life might have been if only he would have looked through God's word. What a missed opportunity. But just like the father, our father, God. He has given us some wonderful promises in his word. And we must open that word. We must look inside. You know, especially... As we celebrate this season, the world promises us things, but the majority of the time, those promises are just empty, worthless promises. We have to open up the word of God to receive those things. All we have to do is think of all the the promises the world is making and realize how empty they truly are. The diets that promise you'll lose weight, the the get rich plans, the turn the clock promises that you've seen on these TV advertisements and you hear on the radio. Most of the time they promise more than they can ever deliver. But look, God's promises are always true. He promised us that we that he would make a way. That that we would be renewed and restored to the image that he created And as we look at this text in Luke, we see two promises that at first glance look empty. We see an empty tomb and we see empty grave clothes. We see an empty tomb and we see empty grave clothes. Because the women went to the tomb. They find it and an angel is there and, and the tomb is empty. And he says, go back and tell. They go get Peter. They go get James. Or they go get John. Peter runs back to the tomb and he finds the tomb empty. Just as they said. But he stepped in. We're, we're going to talk about that today. See, this emptiness shouts to us a clear message that Jesus is alive and that he is able to cleanse our sin and grant us everlasting life. So let's look at these empty things. First, the tomb. 
The tomb is empty. He begins in chapter 24 by taking us to the place where Jesus' friends had laid his physical body. Luke starts the story and they've buried him in Joseph of Arimathea's family cemetery. He had graciously given up the place where he would have been buried so that Jesus had an honorable final resting place. Now, normally people who received the death penalty via crucifixion were not permitted to have an honorable burial. It was a common requirement for the deceased body to hang on the cross for a few days after the person had died. That allowed time for birds, animals to consume the body as much as the body as possible, at least. While at the same time serving as a visual reminder of what happens when someone goes against Rome. Crucifixion was brutal, folks. No one wanted to go through that. No one wanted their pub, their body publicly displayed in such a fashion. And these weren't the gentle times. These were times, you know, after the body was left, whatever remained, bones, maybe some skin, it would either be buried in a local graveyard or that was dedicated to criminals or thrown into a landfill, completely consumed by vultures and wild animals. I, but with it being Passover, you know, they needed to get the crosses down. They needed to get those. That, this is the time when everyone's there. So they rushed to take the bodies off the cross. In fact, they killed, they, they broke the legs of the other two simply to get them down in time. Because someone could hang on a cross for days alive. That's what's so crazy. Who wants to celebrate Passover and see decaying bodies hanging around? So the, the Jesus and the two thieves were removed and quickly buried in the local cemetery. In that couple of days, the whole ugly affair would be forgotten. People would be celebrating Passover. And aside from a few family members, no one would ever care what happened to those three men. But Joseph of Arimathea requests Pilate. It, it takes Pilate by surprise. He's surprised that a person of Joseph's stature would want to take the body of a man who had been condemned for treason and blasphemy and bury him. But it doesn't really matter to Pilate. And Joseph is, after all, wealthy and influential. So Pilate agrees to the request. And it would even save the Roman state some money and time. So this whole ordeal had been quite troublesome for Pilate. No doubt he simply wanted to be rid of it all and back to normal. I mean, think about it. Pilate didn't even really want to condemn Jesus to death. He let the people do it. But ultimately he caved because of how he wanted to be viewed by Caesar. We can look at the whole ordeal, but it was troublesome. Life is normal, but that would never exist again for Pilate or for all of creation. Because as Luke tells us, when Mary... Joanna and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, arrive at the tomb. They were shocked because the stone had been completely rolled away. It had been covered and sealed, and yet they only found empty cloth. The cloth that had covered his body was there, but the body was missing. It was gone. Then we get to verse 4, and you see these angels in dazzling attire. 
I mean, that's the word. It says, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. And the women were so terrified, they bowed to the ground. But it's interesting to read verses four through seven, because Luke's account is a little different than the other accounts. Luke shares that the two beings who were standing in front of the women in gleaming white garments were men. He, he uses the word aner, which describes them as a man or a husband. Now, we have to wonder, did he get it wrong? I don't believe so. I think he's simply sharing with us another amazing miracle that happened that day. I think that Luke may be linking the passage with the two witnesses that Luke then speaks of in the stories concerning Jesus' transfiguration and the ascension. It could be that alongside the reports of being angels present in Matthew, Mark, and John, but the Heavenly Father once again maybe sent Moses and Elijah as the two witnesses. I don't know. Luke describes them as men in dazzling attire. I don't think that matters. We don't know who these men were, but it really would not be far-fetched to think that that might be the case either way could we not accept the thought that if Moses and Elijah were present at Jesus transfiguration that they might also be present at his resurrection I think it's a wonderful thought but the empty tomb tells us more than the two men it tells us that the body of Jesus was gone that is all it does not tell us, however, that Jesus was risen from the dead. It only tells us that the physical body had been removed from the tomb. To know that Jesus had risen from the dead, we have to receive the message of the witnesses. The two witnesses who ask, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And... To understand that, we must listen to the message and we must meditate on it. They, they, they say that Jesus has been removed. He is risen. And to understand the meaning of the second empty thing that God left behind for us, we have to look at the empty laundry, the, the linen, the, the leftover clothing in verse 12 that Peter Gets up and runs to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he only saw the linen cloth. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Jesus' empty grave clothes testify to the greatest miracle of all creation. The empty clothes, the, the empty cloth, the, they testify that God the Father raised Christ, God the Son, from the dead. And, and Paul tells us over and over in his letters, Christ has been risen from the dead. And therefore, we today have the promise of salvation and everlasting life. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have the hope of redemption, the hope of new life, the hope of being able to be restored to the image of Jesus Christ. Our whole faith rests upon the resurrection, the, the truth of the resurrection. So what is it about these clothes that's such a big deal? Well, it's here where we might need some further help. In the book of John, chapter 19, verses 38 through 40, the, the, the 
writer of John shares with us some wonderful information. Information that, that we understand if we understand it. We see why God left this folded up pile of empty laundry and why it's such a big deal. It says in verse 38 later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Okay, so how does this match the empty linens? Now, understand this. Nicodemus and Joseph first washed the body as carefully as they could. This would have been difficult to do with the body and the condition that it was in after the beatings, the crucifixion, and everything that Jesus had endured. Jesus would have been covered in blood, grime, and gore, and they would have had to work quickly because the Sabbath was about to begin. They wanted to celebrate Passover, but at the same time, they wanted to do what they could for Jesus' body. So they took the myrrh, either in powder form or more likely as an oil or a resin, and began to pour it on the body along with the aloes. Aloe is a spice made from the aloe tree and usually comes in powder form. Now, here's where we stop to think about the not so nice part of what's going on. But to understand the totality of this passage, we must do it. Jesus had only died an hour or two earlier. If that the body would have still been seeping fluids into the linens especially considering the state of Jesus' body. It had been ripped to shreds by Roman uh, guards. The cat of nine tells the things, these bodily fluids with the oil of myrrh along with the aloe would have congealed. They would have adhered the linen to the body. Now, I know that this is a nasty thing to think about, but understand this was a nasty situation. They would have, in fact, glued the clothing, the linen, to Christ's body. The spices with the fluids and the blood, 75 pounds of spices would have allowed the gluing factor to set in pretty quickly over the next three days. So by the time that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and any other women that may have gone back to the tomb with them, went back, that would have been securely glued to the cloths that surrounded him. All of this was quite normal because no one ever expected to use those again. The, the grave clothes were never expected to be used again. And over time, everything would have completely dried out. It would have been left as almost a semi-embalmed body of flesh and bones. Now, in Luke 12, or Luke 24, 12, we see in verse 12, he saw only the linen cloths. Um, it, it also says, you know, he saw them lying there, the, the clothes lying there. So what he sees is we, we see in the other gospels that they were in fact folded, that, that the head cloth was folded. So who did the laundry? Who cleansed them? Right? 
I mean, think about this. If they, if they were folded, who folded them? Who did the laundry? How in the world did they remove all the linens off of Jesus without tearing away at least part of his flesh? After all, his back had been ripped to shreds and part of his beard had been pulled out. I mean, he was in bad shape. And and then these sections of his body had been covered with pieces of linen and had oil and myrrh and ground powder of aloes placed all over them. I mean, how do you remove those, fold them up nice and neat without destroying the body? Well, that would have been practically impossible. Look, it's like this. We have covered a cutter and incision with a bandage only to find that when we try to take it off that it's become glued to our flesh by the healing process, right? Our blood and the bodily fluids have caused so when we yank it off, maybe we lose a little skin. And in Jesus' case, you're talking about a hundred times or more of what you will ever understand from pulling a band-aid off. And if you think about that, then you will understand what I'm talking about here. There would have been no way to remove these cloths without ripping more pieces of flesh from the body. The empty tomb tells us that the body was no longer there. It doesn't tell us what happened to that body. The witnesses tell us that Jesus had risen, but perhaps there's a conspiracy to lie. We know better than someone could argue that position. They would be wrong, but humanity has been wrong many times, right? Many times when it came to Jesus, especially. But the presence of the folded laundry, the the empty grave clothes, it tells us something happened that can't be explained. How do you get Jesus' body unglued from the linen and from the spices and everything else without a great deal of damage? How were there not pieces of Jesus left in the clothing? Who did the laundry and then folded it up so nicely? Look, these empty linens let us know that something supernatural happened that day. They let us know that Jesus, in fact, is alive, but very different. That his body has been transformed. And later, as we read the rest of Luke 24, we see that. Because on the road to Emmaus, he speaks with disciples. He speaks with folks. They even hold Jesus, they see Jesus, they break bread with Jesus. And seeing these clothes lying there, let these first disciples know that something supernatural had happened to Jesus, something beyond the scope of their imagination. They knew that you couldn't just take a body that had been glued with clothing and spices and remove it without a great deal of tearing. And there was no evidence of a body at all. There were no great big pieces of flesh lying around. Why? Because we know that as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus has been raised from the dead by his father. The two men in dazzling clothes remind us that Jesus had promised he would die for the sins of the people. He would be raised again by his heavenly father and it had come to pass. Jesus had made a promise and he was true to his word. He was always true to his word. 
So let's put these three things together for a moment. You have the empty tomb. You have the two witnesses. And you have the empty grave clothes. And as we celebrate the Easter season, we can rejoice that Jesus is alive. He has made good on his promises of whatever and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He made good on his end of the bargain. You know, I started with a story about a father and a son. I want to end with a story about a father and a son, about a bee that flies into a car as a father and his young son are driving. And the little boy is deathly allergic to bees. And if he got stung, it could have cost him his life. He begins to cry out in fear and hyperventilate, knowing he's in danger. The father, too, realizes it and calmly slows down. He reaches out and he grabs the bee in his hand. He squeezes it and lets go. The moment that he let the bee go, the little boy began to whimper again out of fear, but the father, having come to complete stop, opens his hand for the son to see. Right in the middle of the palm of his hand, the bee's stinger is lodged. At this point, the bee could fly all it wanted, but it couldn't hurt the boy because his dad had just taken the pain and the suffering. I love this story because now that little boy was safe. The fear of pain, the fear of suffering, the fear of death were all gone because the father had saved the son's life. They could go on and enjoy their trip together. And as we celebrate, Jesus died on a cruel, cruel cross. He took the sting of sin, the fear of suffering and the pain of death upon himself. And we celebrate his death, not because he died, but because it was a victory over sin. He died on the cross sinless. Meaning he defeated sin. Temptation didn't get its hold in him, but he took the sting of death from us. On that cross, Jesus took all that evil could throw at him. And like the little boy's father, Jesus bears the scars of that pain on his hands, on his feet, all over his body. But because of what he did, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear hell. We don't have to fear the grave. We don't have to fear anything because Jesus took our place. He paid the price and we can enjoy the promise of salvation and everlasting life because of Christ. What Luke shares with us in his gospel is that Jesus took all of that, was raised from the dead by his heavenly father. God, the father raised God, the son. And because of that, our world has never been the same. Look, God created Adam and Eve with a promise that one day he would make all things right. And when Adam and Eve messed up, God made that promise to them and said, it will be fixed. The first Adam, the problem was fixed by the second Adam. Christ came. He did that on the cross. He fixed the problem on the cross. 
He did it when Jesus walked out of the tomb. He did it when Jesus ascended into heaven. He did it the day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And Luke shares the reality of an empty tomb. The declaration of Christ being risen by two witnesses and the empty laundry, the grave clothes that lay empty and folded. Jesus is alive, folks. And we have the promise of God's word to show us that Christ died for our sins, that we may have life in him. He took your shame. He took your pain. He took your sinful nature. He took everything about who you were to the cross. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we got to understand Romans 3.23 first. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God here is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. But that still takes something on our part. And we can look at the empty cross. The empty grave. The empty grave clothes. We can listen to the declaration of the witnesses of who Christ is and that he is risen. And we can see the accounts of the apostles who saw him, talked with him, ate with him, watched him ascend into heaven and know that he made the promise to return. Look, if Christ followed through on every promise he made while he was alive, you can bet he will return. So, Sometimes there is a promise in what we find empty. But understand this, the world makes empty promises. Our God fulfills promises with empty graves, empty grave clothes. Understand that today. The world will leave you feeling empty. It will leave you feeling worn out, worn down, broken. God will fulfill you and bring you life in your emptiness. Folks, we pour ourselves out so much, but think about what Christ did. He poured himself out for 33 years. He poured himself into ministry, into fulfilling the promise of the Messiah, fulfilling the prophecies. He filled the empty places. Because those prophecies were empty until Christ fulfilled them. God's all about filling those empty places in our lives today. And he's asking you to receive what he is giving you. We receive or we reject. There is no other way. You receive or you reject. Are you receiving that today or are you rejecting that today? That is the question. See. This might have been an empty podcast, but I hope that you've listened and you don't feel so empty anymore. Let's close in prayer. I thank you again for joining us on the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. Father God, we thank you for the time we could have together again. Lord, I thank you that for 47 weeks you have blessed us to be together in this way. And God, we thank you that you have 
blessed us to talk over your word, to to look into your word deeply and to study and find ourselves in that place. Lord, we thank you for the promise of the empty tomb, the promise of the empty grave clothes, that we can see that care was taken to meticulously fold those clothes and put them down to leave the promise for us that you had fulfilled the promises you had made, that you did not leave us with empty promises, Lord. Lord, if there's a heart that needs to be touched by you, I pray that you'll touch it today. As we celebrate this Easter season, Lord, I pray that we would glorify you, that we would bring glory to your name. Father, we just thank you, praise you, and give you the glory. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. You can join us each week. We try to get an episode up by 12 noon every Friday. and We are very blessed to be able to bring this to you. Hope that you can find peace where the wild things aren't. Listen on wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow it. Click it to download so you can get the newest episodes. And again, we thank you for listening to Where the Wild Things Aren't.